It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Dramatic scenes at the forecourts as members of the Burke family are removed by Garthi. The political fallout from the government's decision to lift the eviction ban. Dublin Airport to get anti-drone technology, but it won't be operational for another few weeks. And we take a look at how lockdown affected school children's development. You can join our conversation online with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. We begin tonight with extraordinary scenes at the four courts. A brother of teacher Enoch Burke has been charged with breach of the peace. Simeon Burke appeared in court this evening in relation to an incident that saw several members of the Burke family physically removed by Garthi. Well, Virgin Media News correspondent Deborah Naylor joins me now with more on this. Uh, chaotic scenes, as we say, at the Court of Appeal today, Deborah. You were there. Take us through how events unfolded. Yes, Claire. Well, this was an appeal um, over Enoch Burke's appeal over injunctions granted to Wilson's Hospital School. And those were a number of High Court orders granted last year directing Enoch Burke to uh, refrain from attending the school while disciplinary proceedings were underway. Those proceedings arising from the fallout over his refusal to um, address a transitioning student by a different name and use the pronouns they. So first of all, Enoch Burke's appeal was today dismissed, but that judgment, it's fair to say, was, was overshadowed by events which unfolded at the court, which can only be described as, as utter chaos. Uh, Garthy were called in shortly about an, before an hour into those proceedings. And there were six members of the Burke family present and less than an hour in, solicitor Amy Burke, she interrupted those proceedings. Uh, she she would not uh, stop. She was told to sit down. She did not do so. She refused those requests. Enoch Burke's mother told the court it was bowing uh, before the altar of transgenderism. The court uh, it arose, it rose for a short time, it resumed. But after that, uh, all hell broke loose. Every single member of the Burke family, one by one, were removed from court. Amy Burke was first to be dragged out of the building. Uh, Enoch could be heard shouting, leave my father alone. He was calling Garthy Tugs. His brother, um, Simeon Burke, he was next to go, followed by parents, uh, Sean and Martina Burke. Enoch Burke at one stage was clinging on to the court benches as Garthy uh, tried to talk to him. He was shouting and screaming and he, as he was removed from the court. And finally, it was his brother, Isaac, who was lying uh, almost vertically on the floor of the courtroom and he was dragged uh, by his feet outside of the building. Now, there's been one arrest and a court appearance, uh, Deborah. Bring us up to date on what's happened tonight. 
Yes, well, it became clear that one arrest had been made shortly after these proceedings. And this evening, Enoch Burke's brother, Simeon Burke, he was taken uh, to Dublin District Court and he was charged with engaging in threatening, abusive and uh, insulting behaviour following the hearing earlier today. Now, uh, Garda gave evidence of arrest, charge and caution. He said that Mr Burke, he made no reply when charged at the Bridewell hearing. The 24-year-old of Castlebar in County Mayo, he represented himself at this evening's hearing and he told the court that his arrest was unlawful. He claimed that he had been manhandled and that and sworn at by Gardaí. He said that a mob of Gardaí had invaded the court. He alleged that they assaulted his family members. And he also accused the court of appeal of uh, trying to shove transgenderism down the throats of people. Now, uh, there was no objection to him being granted bail this evening uh, but on a, in his own bond of €200, Euro, but he refused to sign that bail bond. So he was today remanded in custody with consent to bail to to appear in court again next week. Deborah Naylor, Virgin Media News Courts Correspondent. Thank you, Deborah, for bringing us up to date on that story uh, today. Now, the government's decision to lift the eviction ban has been the talk of Leinster House with criticism from opposition and some government voices. The Minister for Housing says it was lifted due to concerns that an extension would damage the supply of rental properties in the long term. Well, joining me now is Senator Pauline O'Reilly from the Green Party, Sinn Féin TD Maraith Farrell and Wayne Stanley, Executive Director of the Simon Community. You're all very welcome along to the programme tonight. Uh, but first, Kira Doherty caught up with the Minister for Housing, Dara O'Brien, for reaction to today's decision. I'm joined now by the Minister for Housing, Dara O'Brien. Uh, Minister, thank you for taking the time oh, my pleasure, Kira. to speak to us. Uh, Minister, at a time of record homeless figures in this country, how can you justify ending this housing eviction ban? Well, we brought the ban in firstly from the 1st of November. We said it had run till the end of March, and it's important people know firstly that's scaled out to the 18th of June, so there's no cliff edge here. It was to provide the space for the state to provide additional homes and additional accommodation. And um, to be very frank, the ban itself did not work as we would have hoped. We saw a levelling off of homelessness, certainly, but in singles, we continue to see an increase, some reduction in family homelessness. But what we have been able to do. In, in the period of the ban is deliver 5,000 new social homes, bring back 1,500 new homes back into use, uh, get approval today for an extension of the purchase with tenant in situ, and that is for a lot of people who are on social housing lists at the moment who got a notice to quit, um, where the local authority in the area will buy that home, and that then is their home for life. So we've done about 600 of them since July. I've got provision for a further 1,500. And I'm asking and telling the local authorities that where people are in that situation, they're to purchase the home. We have a couple of other measures that I'm sure we'll be able to go through, but there was no easy decision on this, if I could say. Uh, but I genuinely had to take the best decision that I believed was in the, in the medium-term interest. I think a short-term extension, whilst that may have been popular, I think would have done more damage in the medium and long term. Because you supply. feel more landlords would have left the market? I, I do. It will be a further intervention there. I believe we've had a time to provide additional accommodation, which I've explained to, and a further thousand properties that we're leasing, uh, and to provide additional emergency accommodation. It's not an easy call. 
and I don't expect it to be a popular one either. But I genuinely believe it's the right thing to do in the interest of ensuring that we, that we can maintain supply in the private sector whilst we're building up more public housing, okay. which we're doing. But given the homeless figures at the moment, and given the lack of accommodation that's available in the private rental sector at the moment, do you accept that it will push those homeless figures up further? It may very well in the short term. Okay, and I do accept that. But so that's I, more families, more well, women, well, more children in yeah, this country well, being pushed well, into homelessness. Yeah, well, last, that's not at all my intention. I think that if we had delayed this decision further, and there are some in the opposition saying that they would extend the ban for six months. Now, is anyone honestly saying that they believe that uh, if we were to bring it in for another six months that the eviction pause would actually end before Christmas? It wouldn't. It would be a further intervention in the sector. And I'm genuinely concerned that we would see more properties leave. Now, as I said, while we had the ban in place, we have been able to provide significant amounts of additional homes, and we'll continue to do that. But the homeless figures at the moment are at 11,754, mm -hmm. a record high. Yes. Are you going to be able to keep that from going over 12,000? I can't guarantee that right now. But what I can say is that based on what we did in 2022, that the only solution out of this is more supply, more public, more affordable and more private. And last year, thankfully, we were able to do that. Nearly 30,000 new homes and we intend to do more this year. But it Minister, just to go back to one of the big issues here, one mm. of the reasons that you have is that you're afraid that more and more landlords are going to leave the market. But isn't the truth that over the last five years, over 40,000 rental properties have left the market four, yeah. and over the last five years the Jews housing minister and the government have failed to intervene to stop that trend. Well I think what we've done is there's no question that we would have 44,000 tenancies have ceased over that period of time about 14,000 landlords many of them individual landlords for a multitude of reasons mm. some of it relates to tax treatment some of it regulation some because of demographics people bought a second property for their pension they're older house prices have gone okay. up and they're selling out. But the biggest issue, Kira, if I could say, is there's no one coming in to replace them. Uh, and that's but part, what are you as a government well, doing part, to stop them living in the first yeah, place? Part, part of the government decision, I've been minister for just over two and a half years, we've had a significant undersupply of all tenures of housing for the last 10, 12 years. Now, we turned that around last year. So we built more social, new social homes last year than we've done in 50 years. Yeah, but you also, Minister, missed your target in social homes last year. It I would was 9,000 was the target, I would say and 6,500 were achieved. Actually, it'll be more than that, because that, that figure that was quoted was, at the time was incorrect. Okay, So it'll be substantially more than that. Our okay. overall target is 10,500. I'm not going to split hairs on it. I do get the point. I think people will understand as well with the supply chain issues in the war in Ukraine. We did have issues in the first quarter of last year. We're not going to lose those properties. We're going to actually get them. We're, we're going to get those properties in this year. And we've had a good start to this year. That doesn't get over uh, the situation for people who find themselves with a notice to quit and who are looking for somewhere to go. Yeah, because um, for those people, I mean, you recognise today that the eviction man meant that 2,700 notices to quit were paused. Mm -hmm. We would assume that those notices to quit will now be delivered. In the short term, what are those 2,700 households mm -hmm. meant to do? Well, what I'd say to you is we've provided more prop properties and we'll continue to do that, and in a significant way. Even the first quarter of this year, we, we've, done, we've done that quite well. OK, but there's um, 1,100 apartments and houses available on DAF yeah, today. I'm just wondering, where are these people meant to move understood. to, Minister? If the notices to quit, which are there, have extended the purchase with tenants in situ, what that means is anyone who's on mm -hmm. housing assistance payment or RAS, basically on a social housing list, their local authorities are to buy the home. 
okay, when it goes up for sale. Okay, but we heard from and the Labour Party today that seven tenants in situ in Dublin, well, those deals seven in January and February of this year. To, to be honest, that, that was a little bit disingenuous from the Labour Party, and I say that, I say that respectfully. Uh, that, they are closed sales, okay? It takes time for conveyancy to come through. I can tell you since July of last year, about 600 homes have been purchased. And I've already seen the start of this year that that's ramping up now. I met the local authorities last Thursday, purchased with tenants in situ, there'll be another 1,500. And that is for people on the social housing list, and we'll do more. Well, let's get some reaction to this. That was Minister Dara Bryan speaking, of course, to Kira Doherty a little earlier on today. Uh, joining me now is Senator Pauline O'Reilly from the Green Party, Sinn Féin TD Maraith Farrell, and Wayne Stanley, who's Executive Director of the Simon Community. I, I want to come to you first, Wayne, on this, because you're working at the coalface, you're working with people who will likely be impacted by this decision that was made today. And from what the minister had to say, he said this was not going to be popular, but he was genuinely concerned that more landlords would leave the market should that ban be extended further. And the move would, in fact, push more people into homelessness um, if, say, the moratorium were to remain in place for another six months. As someone working with those people that he's talking about, do you agree with him? Um, the decision today is the first time um, since I've been working in the area of homelessness, which is since 2005. Um, we've often, you know, struggled with governments who didn't move fast enough or didn't move forward, didn't bring in the policies we wanted to, to bring in. But this is the first time I've seen a government, you know, not ill-intentioned, but certainly taking a step back from protecting people from homelessness. This is the first time I've seen that. I was really shocked uh, at the failure to extend the moratorium. Were you surprised by it? I was. I genuinely thought they made. would uh, move forward. And in part, it, so the minister has, has raised some reasons for doing it. One of those is that landlords are leaving the market. That is true, as, as was raised in the VT there. Landlords have been leaving the market for a long period of time. Um, what he says is that there's... there's uh, a lack of confidence that, you know, is confidence being undermined by having the moratorium. Mm. The truth is, we know from research done by the RTB that a lot of those landers, as the minister said himself, are older and they're going to be selling up. There was a question about whether, if we continued the moratorium, maybe landlords who haven't made the decision might possibly uh, have their minds changed and decide to leave the market. But the truth is, we don't know that was definitely going to happen. And also, we know... We're, we're now going to go back to levels of homelessness. The minister said it himself, uh, see increases in homelessness back to what it was before the moratorium was brought in. What that means is we're going to be well past 12,000 by the time we get to Christmas next year. We're going to the circumstances that brought the moratorium in. It wasn't actually the increases in homelessness, so that was a significant factor. It's the fact that services were stretched, local authorities were telling them they couldn't expand services and we were looking at the potential of children being forced to go to guard stations or to sleep on the street. And that is untenable. And it will be equally as untenable for both landlords and for government when we get to Christmas next year or winter next year. So landlords know that there's likely to be another moratorium if we don't deal with the crisis that we're in. The government had the option of extending the moratorium and putting, keeping the pressure on themselves to deal with the crisis. Uh, uh, do you believe we heard um, from Sinn Féin's and Brain Maraid's colleague today saying that children will be forced to sleep in Garda stations? Uh, do you believe that's likely to happen, that we're going to see that? I think it's hard to see how we avoid that, uh, given that the decision, the, the decision today. 
All right. Um, Mairead, I want to get some reaction um, to you on this. We already heard in the doll today what Ono Brain had to say um, about this call. Um, but although the government have said this has been a difficult decision, we heard Dara Bryan saying this is a difficult decision, this is not a popular one, but it is the right call in the circumstances. Why do you so staunchly disagree with that view? I mean, the minister can say that it's a difficult decision, um, but what it really is is a difficult decision for all those families who are now watching on, who are terrified to be um, going into emergency accommodation if they can get emergency accommodation. I mean, for the first time ever, I've seen that in Galway there's a waiting list for emergency accommodation. I've never seen that before. The minister has just said that um, he agrees that it will actually increase homelessness. We know that the figures at the moment are the highest that it's ever been. This is a, not about being popular. This is about doing the right thing. And I genuinely believe that the decision today was completely um, heartbreaking for so many families because they needed that support. So there's people out there with notices to quit who are absolutely terrified. And sometimes I worry that when we talk about homelessness, because we talk about it so much and we talk about the figures, we don't really realise the real life impact that this has on families. And when families for the first time ever get told, look, there's no alternative accommodation, you can't get anything on daft.ie, you're going to be going into homeless accommodation. How terrifying and heartbreaking that is for those families. Uh, um, what about what we heard the minister saying, um, that if we didn't lift the eviction ban now, we'd have to lift it down the line. And when we lift it down the line, we're, we're going to see this resurface again. It's not going to go away, certainly in the short term. Well, of course, the whole point is that the eviction ban isn't what creates homes. It isn't what... It isn't um, the fix. It doesn't deliver. It gives government the breathing space to actually act on it. So when we had um, supported the government bringing in the eviction ban in the first place, we, of course, meant that the government would then use emergency... You treat it as the emergency, just like we treated it with COVID, to make sure that they actually deliver um, more homes. So that means using... Um, modern um, technology to deliver homes. It means looking at the vacant properties. It means expanding tenant and scooters. I'm talking Emergency about modern measures. methods to actually deliver on homes to, and to ensure that there's affordable homes coming on screen, social homes coming on screen. It's not that you can put in an eviction ban and expect magically these things mm -hmm. to, to come to All life. Right. They won't. Um, Pauline, I want to bring you in on this because we, we, of course, hear the opposition crying foul here, but it's happening within your own party ranks as well. Um, the Green Party, and, and very stringent voices within the Green Party, vocally calling out this decision that was made uh, by the coalition leaders. I think we can have a little listen to what Nasa Horkin, uh, the Green Party's finance spokesperson, had to say about this call that was made today. This decision today does not reflect Green Party, Party ethics, Green Party policy. And I do wonder, are Green Party policies being spoken about in that room? I don't think so. OK, um, that's just a little of what Nasa had to say. She had to say an awful lot more on, on the bigger decisions that were made by three men in a room that are impacting so many people. Um, what do you make of what Nasa has to say there and concerns within your own party? Um, about this decision. Look, I mean, NASA's going to say what NASA's going to say, and, and that's, means... that's well, that's you know, that's up to her what she says. But ultimately, I wasn't in the room. Neither was NASA in the room, and we have four cabinet ministers who sat at that table. And one thing that people don't realise from today is that there was another decision made, mm. and this was a decision that. Um, nobody can be evicted into homelessness who is at risk of homelessness um, without having the option of renting back the house. And what I mean by that is the, the, what people are talking about is people have an option to purchase themselves, but also an approved housing body has to then 
purchase that house and rent it back to the tenant. Do you think it's going to be as simple as that? Well, we heard the minister being asked about that and being challenged on the figures that, you know, they are they are doing this, they are buying the houses back. But this in fact, is, the diff this is actually low. different. This is actually a different point, Claire. What the minister was talking about was social housing. What we're talking about is approved housing bodies being forced to purchase the house once it goes on the market and then renting it back at a cost that is affordable. That's either the, what they're paying at market rent we, or lower. Look, so that is look, actually a different look. point. And it's a significant sea change in protections for tenants. That does not mean that everything's fixed overnight, but the majority of people who are evicted are evicted because people are trying to sell houses. And this means that they can't sell a house without it being offered back okay. to the tenant oh, for right. a rent that is affordable. And that's a real, that, that, was, that was pushed by the Green Party over the last few days. And oh, right, we did so that's, get your, that. that's the we Green Party. That. That is the, that's the Greens in the room, is it? Th that, that is part of the Greens in the room, but remember that... So that was your idea? The, wouldn't have, it no, wasn't it wouldn't, something that no, came from no, it, the Housing it, Minister? No, it, it did come from Green Party, and actually it's our top line in terms right. of tenant protections. So, look, this isn't going to solve everything, but as has been acknowledged... You know, this isn't a problem that's going to be solved oh, overnight. Yeah, OK. So this is this is one of the protections for tenants that has been put in place, according to Pauline. And we heard Eamon Ryan speaking about that there will be fresh protections for tenants. Um, Wayne, are, are you aware of this? And do you think it's going to prevent uh, the evictions and that some 2,700 families, I think, or people um, that were on the brink of being evicted prior to this pause coming in? Uh, I was, it was announced today about bringing in a cost rental. So there has been a tenant in situ per, uh, where local authorities purchase if somebody's on a, a housing assistance mm -hmm. payment or you know, essentially has an entitlement to social housing where the local authorities could buy. This extends that beyond the people who are within those limits who maybe can't afford to buy and creates a cost rental uh, property. So the Why AHV... Would, yeah, exactly. Uh, and it's welcome. Where my issue is, one, why wasn't this started when the moratorium came in? And now that it's been decided to do it, why aren't we extending the moratorium and ramp up these protections so that we're actually pretend, preventing homelessness while a moratorium is in place? So this is the ramping up you're talking about that could exactly have taken this place kind of, yeah, over the while, while the, the, yeah. the, the ban remember, is in place. The, the minister talked about the moratorium not working. The truth is the moratorium did everything it could. It kept people who are at risk of homelessness in their homes. Uh, the other part of it, the moving people on, the bringing the numbers down, that was the job of government in, that, in the interim. And that didn't happen. Initiatives, very welcome, but they needed to be coming in in November. They needed to be rolled out yeah. and we need to okay. see them ramped up. Yeah. And you mentioned there, it's in the last few days that the Green Party had this idea well, that I would extend protections it, 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 to tenants. To be fair, it's not in the last few days that the Green Party had this idea. It's been in our manifesto. Sure, what, but it didn't ignored get, then? It, to be honest, what, it, it, why is it that we did have this eviction ban in place in, since November and yet we did not see this measure that you're saying now could prevent um, more people um, going into homelessness. And I think it's a fair point and it, and it is something that we tried to get into the programme for government and didn't. And now we are being able to negotiate that with government partners. And why but is as that a negotiation? I suppose appreciate... people would ask at home, why is that a negotiation? Why is that in this housing crisis, why is that such a fight that you have to win? 
Well, you know, we are the smallest party in government and uh, we, we have brought in four more memos to Cabinet today, which were all successful and got over the line. But, it, you know, the Green Party cannot do everything itself. Um, and so we try to have yeah. the greatest voice we can in the room. I think we showed that today. Um, Although it's not, not everyone going to, within your party would agree on that, well, Pauline. They, they may not, but... Um, I can tell you the vast, vast majority do. And right. it okay. is important I to be in the room in order to make these decisions and to help make these decisions to okay. ultimately make people's lives right. better. Maureen, um, on this, on, um, I suppose, what is being, what is being talked about uh, and the concern we're hearing from government that landlords will leave the market. They are leaving in their droves already. We know that. What does Sinn Féin think about the, the incentives that have been you know, put out there that we're going to see tax breaks, we're going to see a favourable package for landlords uh, coming on stream in the budget? Would Sinn Féin be in favour of that? Well, first of all, just uh, to make a point in relation to what we were just talking about, we literally just had the Minister on TV say that he believes that um, homelessness is going to increase as a result of this eviction ban being lifted. So I think that's a really important point to make. I mean, it's coming from the Minister himself. He's not going to say something if he doesn't think that that's fact. So that's a really important point to make. I think we need to go back to the RTB survey, um, sentiment survey, um, that we were just talking about earlier. The, the fact of the matter is we have to have an evidence-based approach when we talk about landlords leaving the market. So for the last five years, landlords have been leaving um, the market, so and that I'm has been under Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. So can I just say, financial incentives to keep landlords say, in the market? But we have to look at why are they leaving the market, right? So if we look at what the RTB sentiment survey actually says, is that in the next 12 months, there are absolutely landlords looking to leave the market. But the reasons that they're leaving to, looking to leave the market is one, to move into the house themselves. Two, it's the pension pot landlords, right, who are always going to leave okay. the market. But and it's going to be, and it's, and it's, the, and so as well I'm, as that, it's people who, for example, um, were negative equity in okay, that. So, so it's not, so no, it's, we don't believe that's no. the panacea or the solution. Absolutely so that's not. that's not the solution. But no, but I mean, you, you have to look at things. You can't just say, right, we're going to bring this, this and this in. What we need to actually look at is why are landlords leaving the market? That is what the RTB is actually telling us the okay. reason is. Um, and from your point of view, because we have heard, you know, Focus on and others saying, look, let's look at a policy package that would, I suppose, keep the rental supply or build the rental supply in this country. Because right now, while we don't have... Uh, Wayne, I just want to get your response to that. Do, while, while we don't have the houses being built as quickly to keep up with the demand for housing, um, should there be that incentive for landlords? Should there, the tax breaks come on stream? Is that something those with homelessness advocates would say is, look, it's necessary? So I think uh, when we look at... Certainly we'd have no objection to it. I think what, what we don't want to see, though, is this continued crisis response of giveaway budgets to try and keep people in in the hope that... I think we need to make sure that we're actually looking at what do we want the private rental market to do? What kind of private rental market do we want? How professional do we want our landlords to be? And build in a programme that's going to help design the private rental sector that we need and that best serves both property owners, landlords and tenants. And if we can do all that and actually think strategically about it, I think that'll move us very far forward. Can, can okay. I just make one point just about the very rental briefly, sector? Right. At the moment, we have a third of people um, who are privately renting are people who should actually be in, in social housing. So that's putting huge pressure sure. um, on the rental sector. So um, the government need to deliver housing. That's a, yes. that's a fact. Well, well, that's, well, that's a given. And, um, well, they're not doing it. And, and we know about that and the targets that are set out. And... 
them at trying to reach those targets, um, whether they are or not, is another thing right now in the right areas. But we're going to leave it there. My thanks to Wayne Stanley. Uh, Pauline and Moraith are going to be staying on with me as we look at drone security around Dublin Airport. The government says that new technology will be in place in a number of weeks. Do stay with us. Welcome back. Drones. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I've been causing chaos around Dublin Airport for a number of weeks with the airport closing on uh, numerous occasions and flights being delayed and disrupted. And the government now says that the airport will have to uh, will have counter drone technology in place in a few weeks time. But with the busy St. Patrick's Day ahead and the possibility of a visit from President Biden over the next uh, month or so, does it need to be in place quicker? Well, Pauline O'Reilly and Maraith Farrell are still with me and I'm joined by Evan Cullen from the Pilots Union, IALPA. And I'm also joined on Skype by businessman and the founder of Air Aaron, Pádraig Okeda. And just to get some reaction to what was brought before Cabinet today. Uh, Pork, to bring you in on this, we're hearing now that a decision has been made and the DAA will operate the anti-drone technology. I take it it's something that you would welcome. Yeah, absolutely, Claire. It's, uh, I think it's really important. It's way overdue. Um, actually, when I was a, a senator back in 2016, I raised this matter at the Transport Oireachtas Committee at that time in relation to the concerns for safety for drones and uh, and the use of drones, not only in a, an aviation context, but also, quite frankly, somebody could uh, bring their drone into or fly their drone in around Dáil Éireann or, or uh, in any place where there's a large crowd gathering. And we need to have some sort of strategy and joint up thinking in relation to that. The number one objective overall is the safety. Safety of crew, safety of passengers, safety of people on the ground. And quite frankly, we're a bit we're a bit behind the curve on this. There's significant EU legislation on it already, and uh, which is very, very welcome. But in my view, we should have been working on this about five, six, seven years ago. OK, um, let's get some reaction to the panel on that. And Pauline, I want to ask you this, as Eamon Ryan has obviously been charged, well, as Transport Minister, with doing something about this. And that is the criticism that he's been nearly, you know, years in the job now, and yet we've got inaction over at least six drone incidents that have happened in recent times that have caused so much disruption, as well as passenger uh, safety issues. So it's come very late in the day, hasn't well, it? Well, let's just say firstly that it's Minister Jack Chambers, actually the line, line minister in relation to um, airports and um, obviously 
Eamon Ryan as senior minister over transport in general. But mm. when it comes to airports, it is actually Fianna Fáil's minister, Jack Chambers, who is the line manager and has brought a memo to cabinet. He sits at cabinet as well on this issue around drones. Um, there is actually, it was also mentioned by, by Porek there, that they, there is actually other infrastructure as well that has to be brought in on this, other critical infrastructure. We look at, you know, our energy infrastructure, our prisons and so on and so yeah. forth. They all I'm have to be I'm actually just talking about the situation at Dublin Airport now. Mm -hmm. And we mentioned there at the start, we've got Patrick's Weekend. It's getting really busy at our airport. Um, and we also have potentially, look, the, the visit of a US president. But more than that, we have a lot of people going away on holidays, a lot of people flying in and out. And that this situation has been allowed to continue. Um, it's it a problem. Well, well, I, well, I don't know that it's fair to say it's been allowed to continue. And like, there's a couple of issues here. And, and one of those is new technology, which as I understand, and I'm not, you know, the technology isn't isn't uh, my forte, but it is this non-kinetic uh, technology, which will mean that it, the signal can be interrupted, as I understand it, the signal can be interrupted so that the drones can actually be sent home or landed so that actually a criminal procedure uh, pro right. process can start. Okay. So that's part of it. But also is the coordination between DAA and the Gardaí and, and other... Um, mm. And other people, and that Minister Eamon Ryan and Jack Chambers have been engaging in to get better coordination. Okay, but it is anyway. the DAA are the operators now. They're tasked with doing all of this. I suppose the question is, you know, it's still coming late in the day. Considering, as Pork even mentioned, there it was brought up as a as a as a problem and a, a challenge and something to be looked at in, uh, as early the, as twenty sixteen. The technology has moved on as well. And all right. Uh, um, Evan, what do you think about this? The government is responding to it. I mean, there has been uh, there has been calls for action. Can we just get away from the you know disruption and the commercial cost of this? This is a serious flight risk. The people's lives will be lost if one of these drones collides with a windscreen of an aircraft. Okay, and people need to get real about that before you dis discuss Patrick's weekend. And by the way, President Biden comes with his own anti-drone technology. He won't need ours or any of the. Fisher-Price toys that are going to be rolled out at the Dublin airport. So since 2017, this has been raised time and time again with government and multiple government departments such as Justice and Defence, and they did absolutely nothing. Nothing. And in fact, as late as January of this year, this government has removed the regulation which bans the use of drones around hospitals with helipads. Mm -hmm. In January of this year, and they have never provided an explanation why they removed the regulation, and they won't put back the regulation. And when the regulation was there, they wouldn't enforce it. And that is this government has done this. The current people sitting around the cabinet table that has authorised this DAA new machine didn't do anything for the last couple of years and authorised the removal of a critical regulation. Tonight there will be a search-and-rescue helicopter trying to land at a hospital somewhere in this country, and they will have lost the protections of the regulation for drone activity around the hospitals. And nobody is doing anything about this. Um, and the, the, the senator is quite right. Jack Chambers is responsible for this. And we've heard nothing from him. Nothing. All right, although he has um, been out on the airwaves talking about this new technology coming into place, but it will take a matter of weeks uh, to train up those who are, who are tasked with... Um, with uh, operating that technology. Um, Maureen Farrell, on this one, it appears that we are lagging behind on a European level. Uh, we are hearing that government is planning on doing something about this now. Um, is, is that to be 
to be welcomed at least. And this idea that we will have radio frequency uh, jamming in place that will make our airports, or Dublin airport at least, um, a safer place in well, the coming weeks. Well, to be completely frank, after what we've just heard, I think um, we should all be a lot more terrified maybe than we are. Sometimes when these things happen, the likes of, you know, this issue around drones, around flying um, and planes, like, you know, people don't, the general public and, you know, most people don't really understand the different technology about it. So I think sometimes we probably don't understand as to how terrifying it is. I mean, you've just said there um, that uh, President Biden will have, you know, his own um, drone security and, and all that kind of thing. And it will be, by the sounds of things, far superior to what we have just been, uh, we've just, we, we, has been outlined to us is going to happen. So to me, that's absolutely terrifying to think that, that, that this is something that could literally cost lives and we're, not aware, and we're not really aware of it and we're not aware of the severe risks um, that it actually has for people's lives. So th th that in itself, like, like if the government... Just in, in 2018, the government was provided with an analysis of uh, collision with an aircraft, this document was provided to government departments, justice and transport uh, back in 2018. Five they did nothing ago. with it. Five, five years ago. And they, they also were provided with the, this is a product that was produced by the defence contractors in the US uh, five years ago yeah. about how, how to deal with drones at an airport. Uh, and we got a cost, actually. We, we got an estimated cost uh, to provide right. the proper analysis, proper infrastructure for drone protection at Dublin Airport at two million. Uh, and then we heard this nonsense about 100 grand that we're going to spend. It's going like, to cost a lot more than it, that. Well, well, we got an estimate back in 2018 of 2 million. Yeah. I mean, Pauline, is there an acceptance it, it, here? It was Michael O'Leary using the 100 grand figure, as far as I, I recall. Um, and, so you know, so I think pay, that that was rubbish. Uh, technology that is going to go in now and be up. Well, it is the, the it is it, like it is the Dublin Airport Authority that ultimately is going to be um, you know purchasing and operationalising. But obviously, that's a cost to the state. Um, but it, in the end of the day, like as I understand it, government is actually to go government the hoops to get is, clearance. Is, why? Why? There, do, there will be. What's the issue? There will be um, secondary legislation required. Now that doesn't but not mean not right now. Not it, to install this. There's no primary legislation. Well, required. There's no primary. Right there's no they primary. Should be installing this at every hospital that has a helipad okay. as well. All right. We need we need this at every hospital that has a helipad. Porik, um, actually, just actually broadening it out, and I know that um, Evan mentioned there about hospitals. There are key infrastructures. There there are really important buildings in this country that that do face the risk of uh, drone interference. Um, how much should this be widened out? And, and, you know, what more do we need in the area of regulation um, and, and, I guess, an ability to disrupt these drones? Yeah, um, it is pretty serious, uh, Claire, to be honest with you, as your panellists have said. The IAA at the moment, the Irish Aviation Authority, can actually create geo-zones, uh, what's called geo-zones around particular areas. They don't have to be around air airports. Every single airport in Ireland that's a commercial airport should have that uh, counter-drone technology. We're the only country in Europe, as far as I know, that does not have this counter-drone technology and uh, the non-kinetic uh, signal uh, uh, methodology. Uh, it's in the UK. In actual fact, in most other countries, it's the police force and the military that actually have it. Uh, Portugal introduced it to all their airports two years ago. But it's much, much wider, Claire, as you, as you rightly point out, than just airports, we got to start with airports, but any place that's, as, as Evan mentioned there earlier, helipads, so on and so forth, that affects aviation or where people can collect and meet and uh, where you've got 
various events, concerts and all of those type of things on, we need that type of technology there to actually to manage or take control over those drones by interfering with the signal, the non-kinesthetic the non uh, structure. So it is a quite a big issue. My concern is that we wait until something happens before we do something. We're unfortunately reactive, 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 rather than being proactive. Um, Evan showed uh, some stuff there that goes back to 2017. And as I said, I was, I was speaking on this in 2016. It needs to be done. It's late. It's not too late yet. Uh, if a bird strike can pull down an airplane and has done that in the past, certainly a drone can do so with much more, I suppose, potential damaging effect. So um, right. they're just my thoughts on it there. Uh, yeah, ju just on that uh, and briefly, Pauline, this idea that we are reactive to threats like this, um, to these security threats that are very simply, anyone can get, you know, can fly a drone um, into a space causing um, real problems and real security threats in this country and we haven't addressed it to date. Yeah, and again, the issue of other you know, other places, other infrastructure has been brought up. And I think it is important that in the memo today, it included a review of all of the other infrastructure as well, because it's obviously is being taken very seriously. But the request for non-kinetic technology, that is being addressed. And that will take a matter of weeks, as I understand it, but it has to be operationalised by DAA for, for understandable reasons. Okay, um, but beyond but it is that, being taken is, there, is there an agency task now with handling this and looking at it on a national basis beyond our airports? Uh, yes, there is, there is, and there's a review, and it's due in, in Q2. All right, we'll we'll this year. we will see. No, it, we will that's see not the way it works, because when you go to the Department of Transport and ask them the question, they'll send you to the IEA. The IEA will then send you to the DAA. The DAA will probably send you off to the Department of the Defence, and they'll send you off to the Department of Justice, and then you'll do the Sir Humphrey rounds again, and then in the end, nothing will get done. That's how government works. All right, um, we'll, have to, we'll have to leave it there with all of that and see if we eventually move away from going around all those circles to get to the point um, that the technology is in place. Uh, my thanks to Paul, who joined us on Skype, to Evan um, and to Mairead. Pauline is staying on with me. Uh, coming up after the break, we're going to take a look at the impact that lockdowns um, have had on our school children. Do stay with us. Welcome back. This time, three years ago, Ireland was heading towards a complete unknown. COVID cases were rising and a sweeping lockdown was just around the corner. And three years later, and the effects of those new and difficult situations are starting to be seen, not least in our school children. Pauline O'Reilly is still with me. I'm also joined by psychotherapist Coleman Nocter. And Coleman, I think we're at the point now that... The decisions made during COVID are being reviewed, they are being looked at. Government is making decisions on, on how we go about doing that. But that sort of national reflection on the actions that were taken during this time. From your perspective as a professional who's working with children, what are you seeing um, with children since those decisions were made to close the schools, the imposition of lockdown? How are you seeing that playing out now? I mean, I think there's, it's important to say that some children have responded brilliantly. You know, and once the pause button was released and play started again, literally pressed play, there was a lot who really adjusted well. But there are casualties, uh, without a doubt, to that period. If you, oftentimes you're described as the lost years, you know, in terms of, in terms of social and emotional opportunities. And we would, I would still say that the referral rate hasn't dipped off in terms of post-lockdowns you know, and things. We're still seeing huge 
levels of anxiety in school children. I, I go to schools and they would still describe lots of young people struggling to readjust and recalibrate too. Uh, but we have to understand that, you know, what happened over the last three years is we had, of course, the lockdowns, but we also had a climate crisis and we also had an in international conflict. You know, three once in a century events that happened year on year and year. Really before that, we'd have to go back to nearly 9-11 for a, a type of event that would have affected the globe in that way. And so for children who are, you know, and it has affected all the age groups from the, the, the COVID toddler who's kind of, has a kind of a, an anxiety about making strange and maybe grew up in the bubble of, you know, the social bubbles. Those children who are, you know, now in second class and really kind of getting their first normal uninterrupted year. The, the group who transitioned from secondary school, I really have concerns about that 14, 15 year old group, that transition of the ceremonial ending of primary school and into secondary school. There's a real kind of... Uh, what are they presenting with? Is it, is, it is it anxiety? Is it social anxiety? Um, not, not so much anxiety, but a kind of a, a social gap. It's a deficit, right? And, and, the, and the idea around developmental delay will never be obvious in the moment. It'll only be obvious when tasked with it. So these children went, maybe they were kind of play dates and sleepover type of children where parents are very heavily involved in their social world. They're now 14 or 15 years of age. They can't be asking mom and dad to organize these things. So lots of these young, and especially young boys are saying, you know, I don't have any friends outside of school because they don't have the autonomy to organize maybe a trip to the cinema at the weekend because they would have lost that step. So there's quite a lot, and a lot of reliance on headsets and gaming for the communication as opposed to maybe meeting up in person. And so even though it's permitted, uh, maybe there hasn't, that hasn't picked up the way it has. And then obviously you've got the third level group as well who, who are going through kind of big changes too because that level of independence and, you know, the housing crisis plays a component in that. But where they would have the opportunity to spread their wings and engage in kind of adulting in that way. Many are, are kind of still struggling, living at home, doing long commutes and haven't had that opportunity. Okay, and this isn't... You've been on the programme before, Coleman, and you've talked... You talked about your concerns around all this when we were in the midst of a lockdown, when the schools were closed, um, when we were considering new measures and, and what would happen on a county-by-county county basis and all of that. Um, do you think voices like yours were listened to I think there was a consensus at the given moment was we had to manage transmission and that was the priority for many people. When we were saying this is, and I remember saying on this show, you know, none of these are cost neutral. They will come at a cost to these children, whether it's masks, lockdowns, etc. And, you know, many people said, well, that's speculative. You know, we don't know that yet. What we do know is there's a real risk. And I understand why the measures were taken. But what we are seeing now is the impact of that. And, and again, it is that social and emotional opportunities that if you take that from children, you can't expect it not to, to have some sort of impact down the line. And as I say, the developmental issues mean were not visible at the time. We did probably project that they might happen. And I think we're probably seeing a lot of that now. Uh, does it concern you to hear this, um, Pauline, well, about, I suppose, the after effects of, 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 of COVID and the decisions that were made, obviously, in the moment around lockdown, um, really coming home to bear for people now. I mean, and I think I think they were people were very aware at the time. To be fair, as well, um, and you know, certainly our own minister, Roger O'Gorman, made every effort to try and keep and did keep open uh, facilities for young children so that the most vulnerable could continue to go to creches. For instance, that well, wasn't we've heard it was right through the ages. Yeah, I and that wasn't done beyond to, no, toddlers exactly, and that wasn't done to the extent that 
you know, to that extend mm -hmm. at all. Um, you see, particularly children with special needs who were being kept out of school. And it has had a knock-on impact. And I would say young people in particular as well, who were starting college in very difficult circumstances and at a time in their life when they need to be moving out in the world and away from their families. And actually, you know, it's not just about school, but it's actually there were kind of no places to go. You weren't allowed to roam free, freely. So absolutely understandably. But I will say this for the Minister for Education at the time. Okay. She did try to keep it, to keep the schools right. open for as long as possible. Oh, were the right decisions okay. being made? It's hard to know. I'm sorry, we're actually out of time on this, but we will come back and we will be talking about this again um, um, as, as we reflect on all the decisions that were made around COVID. We'll have to leave it there for now. My thanks to Coleman, to Pauline, all the panellists tonight. Uh, good night and do take care. Thanks for joining us. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.